1 through 5, and it's on page 549 in the Bibles around you. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, given, who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, let me just uh, reiterate and just encourage you guys, if you've not uh, connected with a missional community, if you're looking to connect with one, uh, as Paul said, um, they're going to be out there uh, in the back. There's also information. Uh, we have our locator map uh, out there uh, in the gallery. You can fill out a connect card and just say uh, missional community. Um, you can look on our website, a number of different ways. But yeah, really do encourage you. We're talking about practicing the way of Jesus together, and that's one of the primary ways that we do that. We, we certainly Sunday morning is important, um, but also being involved with, in one another's lives uh, throughout the week. So uh, I am Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, if I haven't met you. Uh, and as I said, we are, we are continuing a series right now on practicing the way of Jesus together for the life of the world. In other words, how does God form us? How does the Spirit of God form us into the likeness of Jesus? How does he give us the fully human life that God has created us for? And today we're going to talk about uh, one of those topics that doesn't get a lot of airtime in the Western church. It's one of those topics that, honestly, if you look around the rest of the world, gets a whole lot more airtime. If you look at the Bible, it gets a whole lot more airtime. But we don't talk a whole lot about it in the Western church, because today we're talking about the topic of suffering. Now, you're kind of like, all right, like I woke up on a cold November morning. I dragged myself here into church, and here we are, and we're talking about suffering. And I, and I understand that, because for many of us, that can feel like a downer. For many of us, that can feel like a wet blanket. I came to church to be inspired. I came to church to, to feel good about things. But, but here's the reality. We all know that suffering is a reality, don't we? And that's one of the things that, that is so helpful about the Bible. If you, if you look at the New Testament, you actually find that suffering is a fundamental aspect of what it means to follow Jesus. And it's one of the ways that God is working in our lives to make us more like Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, if you read the Gospels, you find that in many ways his entire life from birth to death was defined by suffering. The Bible says Jesus was known as a man of sorrows, that he walked this road of suffering. And so therefore, to follow Jesus, to, to practice the way of Jesus, means to follow him on the way to suffering. Jesus says, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. Take up this instrument of torture and pain and execution. Take up your cross and follow me. Philippians 3, when the Apostle Paul is talking about his life in Christ and the hope that he has in Christ, he says, I want to know Christ and what? And the fellowship of his sufferings, sharing in his sufferings. So suffering is one of the primary aspects of what it means to practice the way of Jesus. And when Paul writes to these people in Romans chapter 5, he is not simply talking about a hypothetical issue. 
Suffering is not a theoretical term for, for, for the original readers of Romans. It was a present reality in their lives. So here's how we tend to approach the Bible. We tend to come to the Bible and we look at it as kind of a textbook on religion. So here's the Bible, and it tells me what to believe about God, and it tells me what to believe about the world, and, and, and all of that is true, but we look at it as just that. We look at it as, as something that gives us data about God. Or maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you look at it, and you look at it as kind of a fairy tale. And you look at it, and you say, okay, it tells me uh, some cool stories. It tells me some stuff that might or might not be true, uh, but it's got some helpful lessons about life. But, but in the original form that the Bible came down to us in, that's actually not what it is. This here, the book of Romans, it is a letter. It is an ancient letter written by a real person to real flesh and blood people who are really trying to figure out how to deal with real suffering in the midst of real life. I don't have time to, to get into all the historical details today with, with the background of the book of Romans, but here's what you need to know. This is a book that was written to people who had really experienced suffering. They had actually begun to be persecuted for being followers of Jesus, and they're about to experience a whole lot more. They've been kicked out of the city. They've literally been, by, by the emperor Claudius, have been run out of the city. They have been kicked out of their homes. Now they've just been allowed to return to Rome. They've just been allowed to return to their homes. But there's, the situation is still really tenuous because in a few years, this guy named Nero is going to become the emperor. And he's going to begin feeding them to the lions. And he's going to dip them in tar. And he's going to impale them on stakes. And he is going to light them on fire in his gardens. See, suffering was a reality for these people. The Bible isn't some, nice, some set of nice, feel-good religious teaching. It is written by real people, two real people, trying to figure out how to really li live life in the real world. And that's helpful for us because here's the thing. We all know this. Suffering is part of life. Many of us, the reason that we are so uncomfortable even thinking about this right now is because we try to escape it. We drown it out. I want to pull up my phone and check out social media. I want to see, I'm going to drown it out with some kind of noise. I want to escape into Netflix. I want to keep myself busy enough so that I don't have to think about what's really happening in my life because I just want to escape it all. I just want to forget about it all. I just want to ignore it all. But the truth is, we suffer in so many ways, if we're honest. We experience physical suffering. We get sick. We get old. Our kids develop leukemia. We, we face down death. Our loved ones die. Eventually, death comes for every single one of us. We experience relational suffering, broken relationships, abuse, divorce. We experience emotional suffering, depression, anxiety, loneliness. We experience all different kinds of suffering in this world. But here's the thing. Here is the key to facing suffering. Here is the key that needs to frame the way that you're thinking as you're approaching these hard times. Suffering is never just about the suffering. It is never just about the circumstances. It's about, it's about what God is doing in the midst of it. So here's the thing. Suffering is real. Suffering is truly painful, and it is about the circumstances, but it is about so much more than that. It is about the effect that that has on you. We don't just suffer because of what we suffer. We suffer because of how we suffer. 
and what you bring into your suffering. Because here's the thing, suffering comes for every single one of us. What you bring into it will shape the way that you walk through suffering. That's what's so helpful about the Bible. The Bible never sugarcoats the reality of suffering in a broken world. The Bible never minimizes the reality of suffering. The Bible invites us to be honest about suffering, to look at it in all of its pain and all of its horror. I mean, we, su- we follow a Savior who hung on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the Bible recognizes the reality of suffering, but the good news is that the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible also tells us the good news that suffering is not meaningless. It tells us the good news that God is doing something through it, that he is teaching us the way of Jesus, that he is bringing us into the fully human lives that he's created us for. Here's what I think of uh, when I think of suffering. I've got a picture that some of you might recognize. I think of the karate kid. So some of you have seen the karate kids. Some of you have no idea what I am talking about. Uh, Here's the thing. When I was a kid growing up in the 80s, I wanted to be Daniel LaRusso. Like, I wanted to be the karate kid. It went so far, my parents actually got me um, uh, these pajamas that looked like a karate gi, you know, like the robe that you wear in karate. They got me these things. I would, like, walk around the neighborhood wearing this thing. So I got beat up a lot when I was a kid. I would walk around the neighborhood wearing this thing, and I would, like, spin kick trees, and I would, like, practice my crane kick on the, on the curb, and I would try to catch flies with, with chopsticks and Some of you have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about because you have never seen this cinematic masterpiece, but you need to check. I think it's on Netflix now. You need to check it out. I remember. That's what I wanted to be. And so I remember I went to the the library and I checked out like every book they had on karate and I took it home and I looked at the pictures and I was like, I'm going to try to do that like that guy and I'm going to try to emulate that. Spoiler alert, I never actually learned karate. Because I never had uh, what they would call a sensei. I never had a coach. I never had someone training me. There was no Mr. Miyagi telling me what to do. The scriptures say, that the book of Titus, chapter 2, says that God's grace is like a coach. It's like a trainer that trains us for the purpose of godliness. That God, by his grace, is training us into what it means to follow Jesus. He is training us into what it means to live the fully human life that we've been created for. And one of the primary tools that God uses, one of the primary aspects of his training regimen regimen is suffering. I mean, think about a good trainer. Think about a good coach. What do they do? They push you to get better. They push you to grow. They watch you. They observe your weaknesses. They observe where you need to grow. They push you to improve. And even when you don't want to do it, even when it's difficult, even when it feels unnatural, even when it's unpleasant, a good trainer puts you through the hard times to help you grow. That's what God does to us. Because he loves us too much to leave us where we are. Because he absolutely committed to our good and sometimes what that means is that he brings us through the hard times now the bible has a lot to say about suffering and we can't get to all of it today but this passage today romans 5 i think is one of the most succinct and one of the most complete passages in the bible about what it means to suffer as a follower of jesus about how we practice the way of Jesus in the midst of suffering, about how God uses suffering to bring us into the fully human life that he's created us for. 
So how does suffering shape us as followers of Jesus? Two key truths that we're going to see in this passage that, that should define the way that we approach the hard times that come to all of us. Two things. One, suffering reveals our hope. And two, suffering refines our hope. Suffering reveals our hope. And suffering refines our hope. First, suffering reveals our hope. Here's what I mean. When I say that suffering reveals our hope, I mean suffering shows us where our confidence lies. It shows us what we're hoping in. It shows us what our lives are built on. Because the truth is, for every single one of us in this room, we are building our lives on something. But we don't even know what it is a lot of times until it's gone. See, probably the majority of us in this room would claim to be followers of Jesus. And if I asked you today, what are you hoping in? If I asked you, what are you trusting in? You're going to say, I'm hoping in Jesus. I'm trusting in Jesus. And that's good. But is it true? Like, is it functionally true in your life? Because in reality, we place our functional hope in so many other things. In our relationships, in our accomplishments, in our bank accounts, in our ability to manage the world. I had just finished seminary. I guess it was about 13 years ago now. I just finished seminary when the bottom fell out of my life. The bottom fell out of my marriage. The bottom fell out of my ministry. The bottom fell out of my career. The bottom fell out of everything that I had been living for. At that point in my life, I had eight years of theological education. I had two degrees in theology. I could quote the Bible to you in Hebrew and Greek. And if you asked me at that moment, what are you trusting in? What are you hoping in? I would say, I am trusting in Jesus. But it wasn't until I lost everything that my hope was tested. It wasn't until I lost my marriage, until I lost my career, in some ways, until I lost my identity. And it was then that I began to see where my hope rested. See, God stripped away all of those other crutches. He stripped away everything else that I had been living for and everything else that I had been trusting in. And he simply said, hey, I'm here. I'm here, and I'm with you, and I'm for you, and I'm not going anywhere. Is that enough? Am I enough? And what I found was that even though I had lost all the things that I had built my life on, he gave me something better. Because he stripped all those things away so that he could give me himself. Friends, you can put your hope in a lot of things. You can put your hope in your physical health. You can put your hope in your financial wealth. You can put your hope in your marriage. You can put your hope in your career. But none of those things are unshakable. Sometimes God strips those things away and he brings us face to face with reality and we have to answer the question, what am I really hoping in? Where does my hope, where does my confidence really lie? And then in this passage, God gives us three things. Three things that you can hope in, three things that you can trust in, three things that you can take to the bank no matter what. When everything else is falling apart, when everything else crumbles, this is firm. This is what you can build your life on. Three things. God is for you, God is with you, and God is not finished with you. God is for you, God is with you, and God is not finished with you. First, God is for you. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have 
peace with God. We are no longer enemies of God. See, the fact is that every single one of us, in and of ourselves, we want to be our own gods. We want to be our own kings. I don't want to live at peace with God. I want to live at war with God, honestly. And the truth is that that God brings us to peace with himself, not because of anything we do, but simply because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's why he says we have been justified by faith. We've not been justified. We've not been brought to peace with God because we nail it, because we're good people, because we got all our crap together. We have been justified by faith. It means that if you are trusting in the death and the resurrection of Jesus to make you right with God, that you are righteous before him. You're not just forgiven, so it's not like God just gets over all the bad things that you've done. No, you stand righteous. You stand as accepted, as righteous before God the Father as Jesus Christ does. He is for you. What that means is that God the Father is as much for you. He is as much committed to you as he is to Jesus Christ. And here's what that means when you walk through suffering. That means that God is not punishing you. God is not getting back on you. God is not exacting payment for your sins. Because practically, here's what happens when we go through suffering. So often when we go through suffering, we feel this sense of shame. We feel this sense of guilt. We feel this sense of fear. We want to we run. We want to run from God. We want to run from other people. Some of you here are hiding today because you're ashamed of your suffering. You feel this shame because of the struggles that you're experiencing in your marriage. You feel this shame because of the trauma of abuse that you've experienced. You feel this shame because there are parts of your story that you would rather edit out. And listen, the truth that God is for you tells you that you do not need to hide. You don't need to hide in shame because Jesus has dealt with your shame. You don't need to hide in guilt because Jesus has borne your guilt in his death and resurrection. You don't need to be afraid that God is out to get you. You don't need to be afraid that what you're walking through is payback for that thing that you did back in college. You don't need to be afraid that, that, that God doesn't see or that God doesn't care or that God has somehow missed this because God is for you. And as Romans 8 says, if God is for you, who can be against you? God is for you. Second thing, God is with you. Verse 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Your relationship with God is no longer a relationship of condemnation. It is not a relationship of shame or guilt or fear. It is a relationship of grace. You stand in his grace. You live in his grace. He's gone so far as he has placed his spirit in you. Verse 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The very Spirit of God lives inside of you. And He will never abandon you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is with you, and He is not finished with you. Verse 2, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And when the Bible talks about hope, the Bible doesn't talk about hope exactly the same way we do. So here's what we typically say when we talk about hope. Hope for us is usually uh, something I hope will happen, something that may or may not happen. So the Colts play, I think it won today. I hope the Colts win today, or I hope uh, the weather warms up, or all of these different things, things that may or may not happen. But that's not how the Bible talks about hope. 
When the Bible talks about hope, it's talking about the absolute confidence that we have in God. The absolute confidence, Paul says here, that that God is going to return and he's going to set all things right and he is going to make all things new. In the midst of a world that is filled with brokenness and suffering, that's where our hope lies. In the midst of a world where gunmen continue to carry out mass shootings, that's where our hope lies. In the midst of a world where human beings are still targeted and killed because of their ethnicity or because of their religion, that's where our hope lies. In the midst of a world where seven of our brothers and sisters in Christ were slaughtered this week as they were returning from a baptism service in Egypt, that's where our hope lies. In the midst of a world where today 26,000 children will die because they don't have access to food and water and basic medical care, that's our hope. A world in which our loved ones die, a world in which our marriages fall apart, a world in which our friendships disintegrate. In the midst of that world, when you start to pay attention to the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of your own lives, you need to ask the question, do I have any anchor? Do I have anything that is a sure and solid hope? And the Apostle Paul says, yes, here's the hope. This is not the end of the story. It was not created to be this way, and it will not always be this way. This is not the end of the story. God has not given up. He has not given up on his world, and guess what? He hasn't given up on us. He says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice that one day we will shine with the glory of God. We will reflect God perfectly. We will be completely like Jesus. We will be what God originally created us to be. We will shine with the glory of God like little miniature pictures of the glory of God. And so in the midst of suffering and in the midst of your pain, when your marriage falls apart, when the bottom falls out of your career, when you get the diagnosis and it's not good, when you stare down death itself, you've got to know this is not the end of the story. God is not finished with you. And here's how we know that. We know that because 2,000 years ago, it looked like hope was completely lost. Because 2,000 years ago, hope had been crucified and killed and was lying dead in the ground. But that wasn't the end of the story. Because three days later, he walked out of that grave and he crushed the powers of sin and death and he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he promised, I am coming again and when I do, I am going to set all things right and I'm going to make all things new and everything sad will come untrue. And so if you are here today and you are trusting in Jesus, hope is never dead because we trust in a God who raises the dead. And as bad as it looks, it is never the end of the story. He is not finished with you. If you are in Jesus, whatever it is that you are walking through, no matter how ugly it is, he is going to take it and he is going to make something so beautiful out of you through it that, that you can't even imagine it now. The resurrection of Jesus shows us that when you think that God is killing you, he is actually making you more alive than ever before. He is with you, he is for you, and he is not finished with you. Now let me ask you, do you believe that? Like, do you believe, are you trusting in that? 
Not like, do I believe that as an intellectual construct? Am I willing to stake my life on that? See, it's one thing to believe this as a theoretical concept. It's another thing to live it. It's another thing to experience it. It's another thing to actually have it written on our soul. And that's why God doesn't stop with revealing our hope. That's why through suffering, not only does God reveal our hope, but suffering refines our hope. Suffering refines our hope. Suffering purifies our hope. Something, suffering is something that God actually uses to increase our sense of hope because what he does is he takes away those other things and he makes us trust in him. And in the process, he bolsters our faith. He builds up our faith. faith. He increases our hope in him. Verse three, not only that, not only do we rejoice in what God's gonna do in the future, so that's what he's saying there, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. He says we rejoice in the fact that one day, yeah, God's gonna end all suffering, but that enables us to live with confidence now. Have you ever asked yourself this question? I I wrestle with this question all the time. So we all have questions about faith. We all have doubts that we struggle with. One of the big things for me is, God, why don't you just end all the suffering? Why don't you just end it all now? I don't know all the answers to to, to that question because frankly, I'm not God. Um, But at least part of the answer is that God is trying to do something in us. He's trying to make us something. He's trying to, through suffering and through struggle and through trial, he's trying to make us fully human and fully alive. And here's the thing. This isn't just something that God expects of us. So it's not like God is up there in the heavens twirling his handlebar mustache and laughing maniacally and saying, watch what happens if I do this to them. Like He's not just up there, just distant and remote from our suffering. Suffering is something that God has experienced. It is the way of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, writer of Hebrews says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, so that's God, that he, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. In other words, what he is saying is that God the Father is bringing us to glory. He is making us into something breathtakingly beautiful that reflects the beauty of who he is. And he says, Jesus, the founder of of our salvation, he walked that road first. He walked the road of suffering that led him to glory. This blows my mind. Jesus was absolutely sinless. Jesus was God in the flesh. And yet there is a sense, the book of Hebrews says, that he was perfected through suffering. Because in order to be the Savior that we need, one who is perfectly obedient to the Father and one who perfectly identifies with us, he had to be a Savior who suffers with us and who suffers for us. He walked the road to the cross that led him to the grave, that led him to the resurrection, that led him to the right hand of the Father, that led him to glory. And following him means following that road. Practicing the way of Jesus means practicing the way of suffering that leads to glory. Sometimes when we look at suffering, sometimes when we experience suffering, we can't see any good reason for it. Right? There doesn't seem to be any good reason. There doesn't seem to be any good explanation. You can talk about silver linings all day long, but I just don't see anything. But here's what we know. 
We know that God is not some remote God up there who does not understand our suffering. The true God, the God that we know, our God, is the God who suffers. He's the God who weeps. He's the crucified God. Jesus suffers with us. He suffers for us. Jesus was the most fully human being who ever lived, and yet he is a man whose life was characterized by suffering. So what that means is that to follow the way of Jesus, what that means is that to experience the truly human life that God created us for, and and I would go a step further, what it means to be like God is to follow him on the road to the cross. We rejoice because he is doing something in us and it feels hard and it feels painful right now, but he is making us into something more beautiful than we could ever possibly imagine. He is making us into something that he can't make us any other way. Look what he's producing in us. Look at verse three. It says, we know that suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces endurance. So so every year, some of you crazy people in here decide to go out and run a marathon. You decide to go out and run 26 miles for God knows what reason. I have no idea. But think, think about it in those terms, right? How do you develop the endurance to run a marathon? How do you develop that kind of endurance to run 26 miles? There is a lot of suffering involved. There is a lot of pain. There is a lot of struggle. There is a lot of toil. There is there's a lot of discomfort, but that's the only way you learn to endure. Now, so many of us can look at that, and we can hit the gym, and we can get out and run, and we can do that. We can understand that in our physical lives. We can understand that for our physical health. Let me ask you, can you see that for your spiritual health? Can you see that for your emotional and your relational health? Can you see that for your eternal health? Because your body will eventually go into the grave. Your soul will endure forever. Are you willing to undergo the training regimen that God lays out for you? What if, what if we had a paradigm shift? What if we started looking at suffering? What if we started looking at the hard times that way? That trial, that test, that painful circumstance, your health struggle, your relationship struggle, your financial struggle, All deeply difficult and painful things, not to be minimized. But what if we looked at them as opportunities to learn endurance? What if we looked at them as opportunities to practice the way of Jesus? What if we looked at them as ways that God is creating endurance and character and hope in us? So practically, in the midst of my marriage struggle, I'm not thinking anymore, how do I manipulate my wife to get what I want? But I'm looking at it as an opportunity to lay down my life and to serve her as Jesus has served me. So instead of of trying to punish that person for all the ways that they've messed up, we see it as an opportunity to forgive as Jesus has forgiven us. Because the fact is, friends, that's where you really become like Jesus. You don't really experience this when it's easy. It's when it's hard. It's when it's painful. It's when it's exhausting and frustrating and disappointing and you just don't feel like doing it any longer. We've got to learn to endure and we've got to look at that and to see I'm not just enduring because I'm a masochist. I'm enduring because this is part of what God is doing in me to make me into something beautiful. He's doing this to create hope in me. 
I am convinced as I look at Soma Church, this season of Soma Church, this is the number one thing we need. This is the number one lesson we need to learn. We need to learn to endure. I look over the last six years since Soma Church was planted. I've been here for four and a half of them. And I look at it and I see all that God has done. And God has blessed us so richly. We've got three congregations scattered around the city. And we see God moving in people's lives. And it is an amazing thing. But if we don't just want to be around for six years, if we want to be around for the next 60 years plus, If we really want to do good to our city over the long haul, if we want to practice the way of Jesus together for the life of the world, if we want to see the kingdom of Christ advance, then we have got to learn endurance. we got to learn by the grace of God in humble dependence on the Spirit of God, so not in our own strength, but by His strength. we simply got to learn to keep putting one foot in front of the other. In our marriages, in our singleness, in our families, in our community, in our neighborhood, in our church, in every aspect of our lives, learning to put one foot in front of the other, to practice what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in a single direction. That's the way of Jesus. Way of Jesus isn't always easy. It's definitely not always sexy, but he uses it to produce endurance in us. It is a long obedience in a single direction. Suffering produces endurance. And then he goes further. And endurance produces character. Endurance produces character. See, the goal is not just to start well. The goal is to end well. The goal is to become a certain kind of person. The goal is to become like Jesus. And endurance produces a strength of character that can't be achieved any other way. Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character, he says, produces hope. Character produces hope. Now, not that we hope in our character, right? I don't look at myself and see, well, I'm a really good guy. I guess I'm okay. No, I'm still hoping in Jesus. I'm still hoping in Jesus' death and resurrection. And yet, and yet, that hope will change my life. That'll change my heart. It'll change my character because because God is working on me. And that hope, that, that hope that I have in Christ produces character in me, produces endurance, and produces character, which then gives me more hope. He gives us confidence that his grace is actually changing us. He is making us more like Jesus, that the gospel isn't just words that we mouth, but it is a life-changing power that we are experiencing. Character produces hope, he says, and hope does not disappoint. The hope of Jesus and his gospel, the hope that is a life-changing power that is making us like him, this hope, he says, does not disappoint. It does not put us to shame. Listen, friends, every other hope Every other thing that you put your hope in will eventually disappoint you. It will eventually fail to deliver on its promises. The hope of Jesus will never disappoint you. Even when you walk through suffering, he will be with you. Isaiah 43, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. When you think that the flood is going to drown you, 
when you think that the fire is going to consume you. He is with you. He is for you. He is not giving up on you. How do we know that? How do we know that he is with us? Verse 5 tells us because he's in us. Look at verse, verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How do you know that God loves you? How do you know that God is with you? He loves you so much that he has placed his spirit inside of you. He loves you so much that he has literally given himself to you. He has united us to himself in a marriage that cannot be broken. And because of that, he is as committed to you as he is to himself. Listen, the fact that God's spirit lives inside of you means that for God to give up on you, God would have to give up on himself. When we walk through suffering, it's an opportunity to depend on his spirit who lives within us and to experience his love that's been poured out into our hearts. Suffering produces joy because it's an opportunity to encounter the love of Jesus. Suffering produces joy because it strips away all those other things you used to trust in and makes you cling to him. Suffering produces joy because when you find that everything else has been ripped out of your hands, all you can do is hold on to him. And that is a painful experience, but it's actually really good news. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is the only thing that can make you fully and finally happy. He is the only thing that can truly satisfy you. He is the only thing that you can truly build your life on. So all of that is a basic overview of, of, of an approach, of a framework to understand suffering. So what do we do with that? How do we respond to that? Because here's one of the struggles with suffering. You can't control suffering. You can't just go out and say, okay, guys, I guess I'm going to suffer today. Like, I hope you're not doing that. You don't control suffering. You don't determine when it comes into your life or, or how it comes into your life. And yet you can prepare for it. And you can understand how to approach it when it happens. So I want to give you just three things, three things to do to help you experience God's grace and God's joy in the midst of suffering. First one is this, and it comes from what we talked about. Remind yourself of the promises of God. God is with me, God is for me, God is not finished with me. And how do you practically do that? How do you actually get those promises into your soul? How do you remind yourself of those? Get into the scriptures. Read the scriptures, meditate on the scriptures, memorize the scriptures, sink your roots deep into the scriptures. Uh, about a year before uh, my life imploded, um, I had memorized Romans chapter 8. There were many days that I did not want to get out of bed. There were many days I simply didn't want to live any longer. And the only thing that kept me going on most of those days was those promises. The promises that God is for me, that he's with me, that he's not finished with me. The promises of Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or divorce or my career falling apart, or losing my identity, or losing all the things that I had built my life on. As it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. I love the honesty. He says, suffering is real. 
The pain is real. The bottom has really fallen out of my life. I really feel like I can't live anymore. I am like a sheep that is being led to the slaughter. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors, he says, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When everything else is trying to destroy you, when everyone else has abandoned you, Jesus is with you, Jesus is for you, Jesus is not finished with you. Friends, get that reality firmly entrenched into your mind and to your heart and to your life now so that when the storms come, you're ready for them. Get into Scripture. Second, get into community. Get into a community of people, people who can comfort you, people who you can comfort, because the fact is you need them. A lot of times we forget these things, and I need people around me to remind me of that truth. But you don't just need them, they need you. This is something that happens a lot of times when we're struggling. We think, I just don't have anything to give to community. Yes, you do. The Lord actually wants to use your suffering. He actually wants to use your struggle to be, to be a source of comfort and to be a source of blessing to other people. This is something that is so amazing about what God does through suffering. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. Cling to God in the midst of our suffering. And as we do, we encounter the grace and the glory and the comfort of God. And then we are able to turn around and to help other people experience that same grace. So you've got to realize when you're walking through these hard times, Jesus is doing something with you. He is making you into a certain kind of person. He is making you into something beautiful. And he's not just doing it for your own sake. He's doing it for the sake of your community. He is taking you through this affliction so that you can help others experience the comfort that you've experienced in him. Henry Nouwen has one of the greatest quotes on spiritual leadership I know. This is what he says. He says, The great illusion of leadership is to think that man can be led out of the desert by someone who's never been there. And maybe that's what's happening right now. Maybe in the midst of your suffering, that's what he's doing. God is taking you through the desert so that you can experience his comfort. See, we are led out of the desert by Jesus who has gone into the desert for us, who was the first to go there, who was the first to experience suffering. And we follow him into the desert and he brings us out of the desert. But it might be also that you're walking through the desert so that you can bring other people out so that you can point other people to the hope of Christ, so that you can point other people to, to, to the experience of God's grace that you've experienced. Get into the scriptures. Get into community. Thirdly, pray. And I don't just mean like pray. I mean cry out to God in prayer. Even if all you can do is cry out, God, help me. Pray, pray like crazy. Cry out to him. Sometimes when you walk through suffering, you don't know what to pray. Let me encourage you, open up the book of Psalms. 
open up the book of Psalms and pray the Psalms. The Psalms are full of laments. They're full of people crying out to God in the midst of their suffering. Very raw, very real, very unfiltered. God, would you help me? God, would you move? God, where are you? Like, do you realize Jesus prayed the Psalms while he was hanging on the cross? So come to the scriptures and look at them and then let that move you to prayer. And here's the thing, don't wait. Don't wait to do this until suffering comes into your life. Start it now. Get into the scriptures, get into community, learn to cry out in prayer. This is why we're in this whole series right now. This whole thing about practicing the way of Jesus together for the life of the world. Because the habits... The, the practices, the way of life, the, the way of trusting in God, the way of trusting in the scriptures, the way of trusting in God's promises, what you learn in the good times is what carries you through the hard times. In all of this, though, you've got to remember this. Your hope is not in your ability to nail it. A lot of times we walk through suffering, and suffering actually exposes a lot of junk in our lives. It exposes a lot of sin. It exposes, wow, I thought I was trusting in Jesus. I'm really trusting in this thing over here. And so in all of this, let me encourage you, remember where your hope lies. Your hope does not lie in your ability to nail it. Your hope does not lie in your ability to suffer perfectly. Your hope lies in the one who suffered for you. It lies in the fact that he is not giving up on you, that God is for you, that God is with you, and that God is not finished with you. One of the primary ways that Jesus is present with us in the midst of our suffering is through what we celebrate every week here. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this week, this way, but we've got this bread, we've got this cup here, we come, we celebrate the Lord's Supper, but, but Jesus promises, I am the bread of heaven, John 6, I'm the bread of heaven that came down out of heaven to give life to the world. He says, when the Israelites were walking through the desert, when they were walking through the wilderness, God fed them with manna from heaven. He fed them with bread from heaven. And then Jesus says, but I'm the bread of life. I've come down out of heaven to give life to the world. And so even as we're walking through the desert, even as it seems like we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, Psalm 23, he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He sustains us with his body and blood. He gives himself to us. He gives us his body, which was broken for us. He gives us his blood, which was shed for us. And we look at that. We look at the fact that the body of Jesus was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. And I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, he is for me and he is with me and he is not giving up on me. So if that's your hope today, if you're clinging to that fact, not like if you're nailing it, not like if you've got everything together, if you are trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection to make you right with God, then come and eat and drink and celebrate with Jesus and his people. We've got stations at the front, we'll have stations in the back. Just come down the aisle, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and take it and return to our seats. And maybe you're here today and that's not true for you. Maybe you're not trusting in Jesus. And we just encourage you, don't, don't do some perfunctorily religious thing, but if it doesn't mean anything to you, then just... Feel free, stay in your seat while others come to take the bread and the cup. But I would encourage you, be honest with yourself. Be honest and like look at your life and say, what am I hoping in? What am I building my life on? Am I willing to, to hear Jesus out? Am I willing to explore what it means to build my life on Jesus? So if you've got questions about that, I would love to speak with you at some point today or maybe fill that out on a connect card uh, and we'd love to connect with you.
We're talking about suffering today that sometimes brings stuff up in our hearts, right? And so for many of us, maybe you just need someone to pray with you. Maybe you're walking through something really hard and you just need to talk to someone. You just need someone to pray for you. Yeah, the truth is God is working in the midst of suffering, but, but that doesn't negate the fact that suffering is still really painful and it's really difficult and we really need God's help and we really need one another's help. And so if you, if you just need someone to talk with you, if you just need someone uh, to pray for you, I'll be up here at the front. Feel free, come and grab me. I would love to pray with you, love to talk wh what's going on. So we're gonna take the Lord's Supper and just do what God is calling you to do uh, in the midst of this time. Let's pray. Father, this life is hard. This life can feel 